Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Adam and joining me as always my co-host... Yippee-kay, melon farmers, it's Craig. And you're listening to Guilty Pleasure Cinema. Adam and Craig's Guilty Pleasure. Adam and Craig's Guilty Pleasure. Adam and Craig's Guilty Pleasure Cinema. So uh, today we're doing the Die Hard vs. Lethal Weapon episode. So a little bit of a bonus episode for you guys out there. Um, but first of all, uh, how are you doing this week, mate? What have you been up to? Yeah, I've been good. Uh... This week was the release of the Snyder Cut of the Justice League movie, so oh, we're going to yeah. talk about that for a second. Yeah, let's give some t- airtime to that. But more importantly, this week, I finally got around to watching the Julia Roberts-Susan Sarandon film Stepmom. Okay. Really good. Stepmom, yeah, Chris eh? Columbus movie from 1998. It's uh, it's not that kind of movie. Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen quite a few of those kind of movies. <laughs> um, uh, but no, it it was a nice kind of character piece breath of fresh air from the uh sixth of a day epic that was the justice league so nice i know you liked that film right i did actually i thought it was really good um uh, and the thing about why probably i thought it was as good as it was is because the bar was so low from the first movie that you could only really go up and if you're a big fan of superhero action movies as you are as i am uh, sitting down for four hours might seem quite a bit of a monumental task at first but for me it absolutely flew by I thought the pacing was quite on point with this movie it had some problems as like any other movie does um, I think we discussed beforehand um, like nobody in that movie could drive so, uh, <laughs> yeah true you know. um, but yeah what was your uh, kind of thoughts from it uh, I got two takeaway thoughts the first is I did have problems with the pacing not so much okay. Not so much the pacing, but every so often I paused, like, go grab a coffee or get yes. some food. And I'd be like, oh, my God, there's still two and a half hours left. But isn't that I the could kind watch... of the pleasure of being able to watch something like that at home is that you can take it down in bite-sized chunks? Oh, absolutely. Loved that. But mm. it was that, that thought process of I could watch Toy Story twice <laughs> before this finishes. Yeah. And it's that's always my benchmark of, like, did this film need to be one hour 50 when Toy Story is an hour and 17 minutes long? And, it's nice to know um, that you use Toy Story as a benchmark for most movies. It's 77 minutes long. It is the benchmark for how to de- tell a great story quickly. Yeah, cool. Um, but my other takeaway from it is I, did, I, I went in, again, with the same as you. I thought it was going to be as bad as the first or I had the low expectations. I didn't know yes. fully what to expect. And when I came out, I went, oh, much better than I thought. Some really good fight scenes, some good mm-hmm. character development. But, but a lot of the podcasts I listened to didn't like it. Yeah. And they've come out and gone, no, it's not good. And we don't like the first cut or the Snyder cut, etc. Mm. And have received death threats because of it. Yeah. And I, I, my I feel... now takeaway from the whole film is, fuck it. I don't want it. If, if the whole thing leads to death threats, it's four hours that, that isn't necessary. I feel that's slightly disingenuous, eh? Because, um, you know, where you're sort of receiving a lot of these death threats from... Um, you know, uh, Twitter, yeah, sure. From Twitter, still... which is an absolute cesspool, and you know, it's a really, really small vocal minority of these absolute weirdos that are on there that send this kind of thing. And you got to kind of think about the people that would send something like that. That hey, you have a difference of opinion on me, you deserve death. Um, yeah, I to take those people seriously. Um, you know, it's it's probably quite frightening. Don't get me wrong. I was like, I'm not saying that um, there's not some genuine concern. But I feel that um, 
you know, if, if someone's creativity or opinion is being silenced just because uh, someone is threatening harm from probably across the other side of the globe, you know what I mean? It's not to be taken... It's not to be taken lightly, but I don't think you should really give any sort of credence or give any gravity to what uh, some absolute loser on Twitter's saying to you because you didn't like um, a fucking movie that that you really liked, you know what I mean? Speaking of which, we are on Twitter at Adam and Craig. <laughs> nice plug. Thank anyway, you. And as a nice segue, moving on to differences yeah, of it, opinion, it, it's Die Hard versus Lethal Weapon time. That is right. Um, so um, just to give a bit of a breakdown, because uh, these are two movies that we both really love. Um, mm. I'm a big Die Hard fan. You're a big You're a Die Hard, Die Hard fan, you may I'm say. I'm a Die Hard, Die Hard fan. Um, but at the same time, it's not to say uh, we've done this uh, before in Bill and Ted versus Wayne's World. Um, not to say that I don't like uh, Lethal Weapon, and it's not to say that you don't like Die Hard. It's just that if we had to pit these two titans of movies against each other, we are definitely obviously in opposite corners. We are and we aren't. Like I, I will admit straight up, I'm slightly going into this with a devil's advocate approach. Okay, cool. Slightly, slightly. But I'll explain why as we get go as we go through it and get to it. Nice. It goes without a shadow of a doubt that Die Hard is an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. But it's like my argument with Wayne's World is then all the other stuff around it. Yes. And that's what I'm taking, take weighing up the lethal weapons. But we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Cool, awesome. So just to give a bit of a breakdown for people that may have not seen the movie beforehand. Uh, so we'll go through Die Hard first. Uh, so Die Hard directed by uh, John McTiernan. Uh, where do you, you know him from? That man directed The 13th Warrior. He did. That's a great as well film. as uh, an, Predator. Is that Antonio Banderas? It is Antonio Banderas, Omar Sharif, and a shit ton of Vikings. Yes. It's great. Uh, but it probably maybe more notable for the audience. Uh, things like Predator, Hunt for Red yep. October, and Last Action Hero. I've still never seen the Hunt for Red October, and I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> is that not a fan? Uh, you're going to be sending some deference to uh, John McTiernan for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Sean Connery as a Russian fan club really hates me right now. Um, no, I, j- I just never got round to it, and it's a kind of a film that I, I I get it. He steals a sub, and then I at the end he gets exploded. Yeah, um, it's, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Uh, yeah. S- save some of that creativity of uh, plots. Uh, for, <laughs> for later um, sure sure so with that um, it's produced by Lawrence Gordon and jo- uh, Joel Silver uh, mm-hmm. we have writers uh, Jeb Stewart who wrote The Fugitive and Another 48 Hours uh, uh, Stephen E. D'Souza uh, where do you know that name from? that is a name that it, that's like a Dino De Laurentiis name where I'm like I know that name I couldn't tell you specifically what uh, so he was brought on to do Jazz Dread Obviously, it has appeared cool. on our podcast before, and he notably wrote uh, Street Fighter, the movie. Amazing. Exactly. Uh, so, we have actors uh, Bruce Willis. Uh, where do we know Bruce Willis from? Uh, never heard of him. Uh, um, no, of course. Um, it's Bruce Willis. I'm not going to patronise the audience. It's Bruce Willis. <laughs> from making uh, Kevin Smith's life miserable to being a Hollywood A-lister and married to Demi Moore. Uh, a staggering career. Um, what was the TV show that we was? Is it Hunt? Like, Moon, Moonlighting. Uh, Moonlighting, that's it. And he played mm-hmm. Hudson Hawk. Is that the name? He of the... did do Hudson Hawk. That's it. That's, that's I was like, of. I'm not going to do the joke where I list one of his bad films. But sure, <laughs> he did Hudson Hawk. Why not? Um, and then with that, we have Alan Rickman. So I'm sure we'll be doing a lot of Alan Rickman impressions. Um, yes. 
So this is actually uh, Alan Rickman's uh, first Hollywood movie you know, he did. Um, first I, first film, over, not even less Hollywood movie, first film first film, film, right? Yeah, um, at yeah. age 41 as well. So yeah. if you ever think it's too late in life for you to start, uh, you know, Keep acting. the dream alive, folks. Exactly. Keep the dream alive. Um, and then we have Alexander Godnovo and uh, Bonnie Belladeva. Uh, Who on. I know from Lethal Weapon 2. That's the one. So with that, uh, we also have... It's Bonnie, Bonnie Bedelia, by the way. Oh, thank you very much, uh, mate. Honestly, like I know, I know, I know. I, anyway, as you soon know as you so said it, I was like, I've got to remember real quick how to pronounce it correctly. But yeah, <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie Bedelia. I, I will always take a correction on names from you, Craig. Yeah. Uh, so then we have uh, music by uh, Michael Kamen, um, who did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and X Men. Nice. So quite a notable career as well. Uh, this Strong. was released in 1988, so two years after I was born, and probably a number of years before you were born. Three before me, baby. That's all right. So I come in at a runtime of 132 minutes. Uh, it came in with a budget of 35 million. How much do you think it made back at the box office? No, no exaggeration here. 350 million dollars. Uh, probably if you halved that. Uh, okay. Because we're we're talking about obviously the original movies here. So um, at the time. Okay. Yeah, that's a good released. point. It hadn't had the. Oh my god, it's a diehard movie. Notoriety, obviously. Yeah. Um, okay, so what? Yeah, okay, then 180? Uh, so around about 140 million. Maybe okay, back. fair enough. So again, obviously nothing to be sniffed at. Yeah, uh, I'll take it. I'll take so, it. So uh, if you're not familiar with the, the movie, uh, it's based on the 1979 novel uh, Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Fropp. Uh, Die Hard follows the New York cop uh, in L.A., John McClane, who is caught up in a terrorist takeover of a Los Angeles skyscraper while visiting his estranged wife. So brackets also it's christmas uh yeah in brackets christmas movie right okay so uh then we've got lethal weapon so directed by richard donner uh where do we know yeah. richard uh, from from directing the best justice league movie superman <laughs> i wouldn't say it's a justice league movie because he's only got one member in it but yes superman uh, definitely the especially uh if you ever get a chance uh to if you have not watched the original superman watch the richard donner cuts of superman <laughs> It's seven years long. <laughs> uh, and it's got, to be fair, that first Superman, just nothing to do with anything. Possibly the best superhero soundtrack. Oh, definitely. By hands. It's, uh, it's John Williams, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, bat, the bat, the original Batman's really good, which was Danny Elfman, but the... Da, 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 from Superman 1, 2, 3, and 4, The Quest for Peace. Of course. Uh, are is fantastic yeah highly recommended um he also richard donner did uh, one of my favorite underrated mel gibson movies a uh, conspiracy theory yeah you mentioned that a lot in our conversations i need to watch that again yeah it's uh that's uh julia roberts and uh, mel gibson and um, patrick stewart as the bad guy i'm pretty sure he's in it as well it's been a little while since i've watched yeah oh no 100 percent is patrick stewart's bad guy because that's more or less all, all i can remember from the film do you think patrick stewart plays a better bad guy or a good guy I think Patrick Stewart plays a phenomenal bad guy. If you've ever yeah. seen um, Green Room, Green Room, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he he crushes it. Mm, definitely. Um, so speaking of uh, crushing it, uh, we also have uh, Joel Silver back as producer. So he yes. not only produced Die Hard, but he also produced Lethal Weapon. Yes. And uh, another favorite of yours, uh, Shane Black, is the writer for this movie. Brackets so, uh, Christmas movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is also uh, in brackets Christmas movie. Uh, so yeah. where do we know Shane Black from? He's obviously been on a podcast before. Iron Man Three, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Long Kiss Goodnight. He was also in Predator. He was. So there is a bit of connection here. Obviously, John McTiernan uh, directed Predator. Uh, yes. Obviously, when we've spoken about this maybe beforehand, that Shane Black was brought on Predator as an in brackets actor, but was asked to do writing or rewrites for Predator but when he refused that's why he got killed off so quickly but then of course they gave him the money to do uh, Lethal Weapon or had he already done Lethal Weapon at this point I don't know the years that Lethal Lethal Weapon and Predator came out that's a good shout I'd like to think that Predator came slightly after because this is because Lethal Weapon is 1987 but I could be wrong yeah okay so that makes sense he you got hired for Lethal Weapon. You became the Hollywood, highest paid Hollywood screenwriter. You get hired as an actor to do sneaky rewrites. Yeah, of course you'll say no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, music by Michael Kerman again. So uh, this is... Uh, so you can imagine here that Joel Silver probably brought this guy in. Yeah. Um, with this, it's also noted that music's done by Eric Clapton as well. So yes. All those little guitar squeals and little... The, the Lethal Weapon... That yeah. is, that's all Eric. Um, so this was released a year before Die Hard, so mm. uh, 1987, so uh, a year after I was born, and again, a few years before you. Uh, it comes in at a shorter runtime here, at 110 minutes, so 20 minutes off Die Hard. Um, and this was made for considerably less money as well, so this was came mm. in at $15 million for the budget. How much do you think it made back at the box office? $120 million. Uh, yes, that is on the nose. It's actually... <laughs> $120 million. Amazing. So I never I get like, those Hang right. on a second. Have you been reading my notes? No, no, no. I, I've never read any of your notes. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, that's cool. That's the first one I got right. I'm happy with that. So with that, then, do you want to give us the uh, the synopsis in 20 seconds or less? I shall try. Uh, two cops, one chalk, one cheese, a partner together to stop an international drug smuggler. Potentially, he's not international. Also, Gary Busey's the bad guy. Brackets Christmas movie. I, I did uh, sort of slip, skip over who was actually in this. Obviously, we did mention that Mel Gibson is, is in the movie. He stars it alongside Danny Glover. Yeah. Um, Danny Glover is pretty much, I only know him from Lethal Weapon, really. Um, what about, oh, come on, Predator 2? Yeah, but I like to forget that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And obviously, Gary Busey, who was also in uh, Predator 2 as well. Yeah, yeah, again. And so, it's that Very weird. looking Gary Busey. Obviously, like, you think about people like the Coen brothers. They're like, oh, I'm going to use the same actors again. I'm going to use the same musicians, same cinematographer. Mm. Sorry, I said magicians. Musicians. Uh, <laughs> and well, magicians. Not? Yeah, why not magicians? Uh, and also cinematographers, etc. Joel Silver is obviously, yeah, here doing the same. And you'll find a lot of powerhouse filmmakers go, yeah, this person worked for me. Therefore, they're coming back. Uh, who was the guy that did, like, Deepwater Horizon and Patriot's Day? Because he pretty much only ever works with Mark Wahlberg. Oh, yeah, it's that I kind of... The top of my head. I, I can't off the top of my head either. It's an early morning recording session. I'm not going to Google it either. But yeah. <laughs> so you'll find a lot of people that are in Lethal Weapon are associated with Die Hard and vice versa. For example, uh, Endo. Yep. Is, Endo is the torture expert from Lethal Weapon. He is also one of the uh, terrorists in Die Hard. Nice. In Lethal Weapon, no, in Die Hard 2 even, 
uh, Holly McLean is on a plane and the back ma- cover of that magazine is a film poster for Lethal Weapon. And yes. it's all putting it all in this same sort of universe, but not really a lot uh, of like references. Like a messy universe, isn't it? it? It is, yeah. Where one's saying, oh, that's the movie in this one and that sort of thing. Yeah. Because they can, because they can just do what the fuck they want. And it's fun to spot those little moments, those little references, those little, um, oh, you were here. Oh, so, for example, the mm. play, lady that plays a psychiatrist in Lethal Weapon is the news reporter in Die Hard. Yes. Uh, are you talking about uh, William Afron, who plays for No, me? no, no, no. The, the, what's the, oh, um, Gail. She plays Gail in Die Hard. Oh, yes. And she plays the shrink in Lethal Weapon. Nice. But she's in another uh, Joel Silver-produced movie called Ricochet, where she plays the same news reporter called Gale, nice. making Ricochet in the same universe as Die Hard. Um, so, speaking of cross uh, uh, crossovers um, and sort of like connections, uh, did you know that Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis were considered for each other's roles? So uh, Bruce Willis was considered for Lethal Weapon, and uh, Mel Gibson was considered for Die Hard. So obviously, as we said, that both uh, movies were produced by Joel Silver and music yeah. by Michael Kamen. Uh, Willis was offered the role of Martin Riggs, but turned mm-hmm. it down and a year later, obviously, did Die Hard. And whereas Gibson would have been... Uh, he would have done uh, Road Warrior by this time, wouldn't he? Yeah. Uh, so he was considered for John McClane. Uh, but also considered for John McClane um, would be uh, Harrison Ford, Sylvester Stallone, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it all turned it down. Okay, so the only one I think that could have worked there would have been Harrison Ford. Yeah, definitely. The, I think the to, thing to, is to stick with... to the themes of the of the movie of a, like an everyday guy. That's it. Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger are too jacked. They're not your everyman's. Mm. Also, well, we say that, but then we think of something like Daylight, even though he's fairly jacked in that. He's trying to be the everyday man, isn't he? He is, but at that time, the mm. late 80s, that was a very jacked Stallone. And Schwarzenegger's has always been, always been. Um, and also, I can't imagine anyone without maybe Harrison Ford. And even then, maybe. Because, look, like at the end of the day, Mel Gibson has an Australian accent in The yep. Weapon. Sylvester Stallone has his thing going on. How did they ever get that across with why why is... In, they so just never, never talk about it's it. Never mentioned. It's never <laughs> brought up. It's just like, hey, this is how this guy speaks. They didn't add a, a weird backstory where, where he went like trekking across the outback. It's mm. just, this is just how he does it. Uh, and Schwarzenegger's got his... Um, Austrian? Yeah, he is Austrian. Austrian accent. So imagine any one of those three. Australian... Austrian or Sylvester Sloan going, "Yippee ki motherfucker!" Yeah, it wouldn't. Well, what Harrison Ford say? He'd be like, "Get off Yippee my skyscraper, motherfucker!" Uh, yeah, it, it, he's the closest one. It wouldn't work with any of them. It has to be that has to be Bruce Willis. Also, a little factoid segueing into some of the sequels, which we're not really talking about today. But uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance was briefly considered to be filmed as a lethal weapon sequel. I mean, it's the most Lethal Weapon film that isn't a Lethal Weapon film or an episode of yes. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, with the fact that, obviously, yeah, you have the... You can see it as well, because Bruce Willis paired up with Samuel Jackson is very yeah. much the Martin Riggs and... Danny Glover. Danny Glover. Ste- like, archetype, yes. So with this then, um, so we've kind of laid down some of the facts there. So with this, we will now get into... 
a discussion and comparison. So the floor I'll is probably... yours, sir. Yeah, the floor is mine. So um, you're having a bit of a break this week, so I'm doing the the editing for this. So if obviously a just to put it out there that if this sounds shit, that's all on me. Uh, B Craig I'm... is taking a, uh, is a lady of luxury this week, uh, but I'm going to add in a little sound effect, a little bell ding, just go ding ding oh, ding, no. just to start this off. I so hope that this is going to be like a precious Venus, sweet, sweet cans, sweet, sweet cans moment. So uh, with this then, with um, obviously these coming out a few years before you were even born, when did mm. you first see Lethal Weapon? So young. Like, so young. before I was 10 years old sort of thing. I remember having Lethal Weapons 1, 2 and 3 on video cassette. Cool. Uh, did, along you, with... did you see Lethal Weapon first or did you see like 2 or 3 first? I right so I when I say I had lethal weapon on video cassette like I personally had lethal weapon on video cassette my dad had the all of the whole collection but I think mm. the first one we bought just because it was a new release and what have you was lethal weapon four uh, okay the one with what's his face Joe Jet Pesci. Lee Joe Pesci Joe Pesci actually rocks up in two and sticks around but Jet Lee's the bad guy Chris Rock yeah. turns up it, it's a questionable at times movie um, but. <laughs> That was the first one I saw. And because I watched that, it was like, okay, I need to see the other three because I don't mm. really know. I wasn't there as a kid going like, oh, I don't really understand the character dynamics. But I saw it and was like, there's more to this. There's definitely more to this. Um, and so, yeah, then I binge watched the whole shebang. So I think I watched Lethal Weapon first and mm. then Die Hard. Right. Okay, cool. So so we had our like Lethal Weapon, Die Hard bit there. So where what would you say was your on your initial reaction the better movie at the time? Die Hard. Okay, cool. So for me, I think I actually watched Die Hard. I want to say I watched Die Hard two first, but I've got a funny feeling it's probably Die Hard three. Um, and I also had the PlayStation game, the Die Hard trilogy. If you oh, remember fuck that. Yeah. So uh, it's where like it's um it's all like different styles of game types. So you had Die Hard One, which was like a kind of three D shooter, um, and then you had a um a rail shooter for Die Hard Two, where you're kind of mm. going around the airport shooting stuff, like Virtua Cop Time Crisis style, and then the third one was a driving game where you had to race against a clock to to basically I think if, if I remember correctly, you had to ram into the bombs, which is pretty much what you don't want to be doing. I'll be honest. The only one of those three games that I was any good at was Die Hard Two because it was you say a rail game. I call it a first-person shooter. Yeah. Um, well, the difference and... between a rail shooter and a first-person shooter, a first-person shooter, you would have control over the movements, whereas a rail oh, shooter, it's okay. almost, imagine like you're on a train track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's that kind of okay, thing. that makes sense. That's probably why I was so good at it. It was so easy. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, no, I, I remember with that Die Hard 3 not really understand like the video game, not really understanding how to do it. And Die Hard 1, I could never get to the elevator in time before the bomb went off. So I was just like, nice. nah, back to <laughs> Die Hard 2 I go. Yippee-ki-yay. So with this, um, we'll talk about the strengths, obviously, the movie and why we love them. Um, so I'll quickly jump on with Die Hard that I think that whenever you set up movies where you, we've acknowledged before, where you have more of the everyday man uh, sort of overcoming extreme circumstances. It has a way more impactful arc on a character than having someone who is, like, say, uh, say in Last Action Hero, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, who plays the archetype 
of uh, I can do anything character and not have to worry so much about the consequences because if he gets shots, he brushes it off. If he, um, you know, he's always going to come out on top. Whereas when you have a more sort of, when I say like in, in air quotes, realistic um, depiction of a person just trying to do the right thing, it's obviously a, a way more relatable because you're not having some huge muscle bound, jacked up dude mm. uh, saving a day. You're having like a, a regular guy who's um, hates flying, um, has all sorts of stress and anxieties. He's not a perfect character by any means because he's obviously estranged from his wife, so he's going through normal people problems. And uh, I think it's just a great way of setting up a character. You know what I mean? It's just like, all right, okay, you, you've you, you, for you, it's the um, was it the eye patch and the wonky leg. Sort of yeah, limp, the limp and an eye patch. Yeah, so the fact that obviously that he meets the guy on the plane, he's like, oh, hey, you ever feel like a bit stressed? You know, scrunch up your feet. And that sort of gives segue to why they're not wearing shoes and socks uh, throughout the rest of the movie and things like that. I just love little tidbits like that. And just things like, um, obviously, great acting coming from Bruce Willis. Um, and then you have, obviously, Alan Rickman, who, in my opinion, steals the movie which he does in most movies anyway you know we kind of think of robin hood prince of thieves uh he's by far the best thing in that over kevin costner um but just a whole host of other great like shit characters so for me um in that ellis ellis yeah um i i think he is probably if not one of the best actors that you can be so slimy and so despicable with literally the only a few lines and just his mannerisms and uh, you instantly can hate him you know what i mean he's the like uh archetype of a typical douchebag that you just fucking just hate on sight um and then you have things that set up for great obviously character development uh you know like as we spoke about the reporter being a massive a-hole but also mm. has his motivations for why he's being an arsehole reporter he's trying to get the scoop the story so that he can you know make a name for himself um you also have the what's the the 80s teacher who rocks up the um, 80s teacher you know the guy from uh what's his name are you uh, talking about al Powell? yeah no 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 yeah. um <laughs> uh he was in breakfast club oh yeah okay yeah i can't remember his name at the moment it'll come back to me go on carry on but yes the teacher from the breakfast club i know who you mean you know a great way of uh building a story as well because you kind of get to see it from people's perspective so you get to see people from the ground you get to see like the cops you get to see the sort of conflict between the different hierarchies of those cops as well so you see like the fbi uh the sergeant and obviously original um Kind of having conflict about what to do whereas you have obviously John McClane's just like right well I'm in the shit I've got to fucking take every motherfucker out and you know and the climax of that movie is brilliant because you can just see that this guy's gone through everything all the pain all the suffering and then and then obviously the, the final showdown which is being a memed and copied and parodied so you know you've done something well when something's like come through and becomes like you know when we talk about things like zeitgeist and things like that and becomes such as like a cultural phenomenon when you think of the, the gun being taped to the back you know yeah. I mean, things like that uh one of the 
uh, best shows in uh, Always Sunny is when they do the Die Hard thing where he's crawling yeah. around through the vents, ends up on the rooftop, <laughs> and they do and they recreate that scene, and it's just a fucking banging movie because it's 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 contained when we compare this movie and things like Air Force One. Mm. Yeah, you know I mean, like uh, you know, that's a contained movie. It takes place in an airplane. Obviously, this is a slightly larger, um, you know, on a larger scale, on a, in skyscraper. Uh, it still feels claustrophobic to an extent. It's just like this is, you know, even though you get loads of big outside establishing shots, you know, it's just the impact of what john mcclain himself has to go through is so constrained and so tight because he literally has almost nowhere to go and just really love the way that comes across in the movie Mm. so i feel like i've kind of nailed a few points there that my what i would say is why i love die hard i'm not saying i don't love lethal weapon but why is it that you love lethal weapon well let me just i want to just say look the script of Die Hard, the setup and payoff. I say to you all the time, like, oh, if you watch an Edgar Wright film, the first half is all set up for the stuff that's going to happen in the second half. Yeah. And Die Hard nails that. Like you said, with the taking off the... the It's genius. The way they set up, why, why would he ever take his shoes off? Well, here you go. Here's a conversation right mm. at the beginning to explain it. Uh, having Argyle, the limo driver, be like, I've got everything in this car. I've got radio, TV, CV... And it's like, great, mm. now we know that there's that you're going to be listening into the conversation later on. That makes sense. You didn't just come across a walkie-talkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the best piece of kind of... and it, Oh, actually, and you mentioned Ellis. He sets up the Rolex, which is what John takes off of um, Holly at the end so that Alan Rickman falls to his death. It, she could have just been wearing a watch, but actually they made a point of going, let's mention the Rolex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great and the show. best, the best piece of like plot slash character setup is uh, Reginald Bell Johnson. Mm. His backstory of him shooting a kid and never drawing his gun. In the final moment of the film, he kills the main henchman, and everyone gets a nice little arc and a nice little journey. And you hear me talk a lot about like, oh, that was just plot for the sake of plot. That was character. That's like your catchphrase. That <laughs> this is the exact opposite of that. Yes everything has been taken someone has taken the time to take everything and give it a setup a believable reasoning and a payoff so it's not just happening to move the movie along it's do you wonderful. feel then that it being adapted from a book made that easier to do in a sense no uh, okay. and the reason i don't feel that I, I don't feel either way i've never read the book so i don't know okay i don't know how much because as far as i'm aware from what i've heard again i've not read the book is the concept is the same, like cop yeah. trapped in a building terrorist. I don't know how much, I don't know if there's an Al Powell in the book. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if the terrorists are actual terrorists or like they are in the, in, uh, die hard bankrupts. I don't know. I don't know. Well, interesting. Like, well, I was just going to quickly, cause I, I asked you that cause I know that a, obviously not to uh, say anything or cause I know that sometimes you have to sign NDA stuff, but you've done an adaptation of yeah. a book. Yeah. Yeah. So do you find that, because obviously you've had some uh, really good creative work which you pulled, plucked out the air, but now you've obviously had to write a script from a, a book. Yeah. Um, would you say one's easier than the other, or do you feel that... No, yeah, they, both, is... they, they both offer different uh, complications. If you're doing something from scratch, mm. 
obviously every scene you have to think like why is this going to work why does this fit in why is it different yeah and the book that i've uh, adapted is a 10-year story so you've now oh you one i had to cherry pick the best 90 minutes from that book which don't right. always make sense so then adding bridges and then going mm. uh, like okay we're gonna get to this scene from this scene because of this you go to the person who's uh, and it's a true life book it's a biopic of what happened to this person right. uh, go back to them and be like here's here's what i think and they go well that didn't happen it's like no but not everything that happens in a biopic or a true story is true to that story because we're making right. a film you say that but then when you sent me the script to read and then mm. I sent you the notes back, and I said to you, "What really should do if you were an absolute hero, All right, and visionary?" Look, we're not doing that because what you're about to suggest <laughs> you is taking. I've had because uh, you went with right. Not get, I'm not going to throw you under the bus here, but you went with the. You literally uh, can't throw me under the bus. The book signing at the end, where obviously because uh, whoever wrote this book, you know, wrote this about their own life. All right, and then let I me let me right, wait wait before you before you before, wait, wait 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 hold on hold on, hold on. Before you pitch what you think the ending to this is going to be, <laughs> much the same as we're going to give the we gave the plot of Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, and this is nothing to do with anything right now. But the book that I adapted was a ten-year story about a lady who suffered from locked-in syndrome, right, which yeah. is to be paralyzed from the eyelids down. And the tone of the film that we've gone for is like still Alice, a very a subdued heartfelt emotional journey for one woman and your ending suggestion was <laughs> i thought a it was very good and well written um from yourself so hats off to you thanks but I, I was like oh you went with the the book signing ending and i was like what you should have then is set this up for a sequel that when uh she's given a book to sign and then she gives it back to the kid the kid opens up the book and then when it says where her name is, she would have signed it as Robocop. And then... <laughs> and then that was set up the sequel. And this is why I don't send you scripts anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the that's why for me Die Hard Out and Out category is great. Now, the problem, not the problem, but the reason I think that Lethal Weapon holds a slight higher advantage is right, because yeah. there is more of a story there. Mm. Okay. By which I mean, like, obviously, John McClane go through his character arc and jo- Reginald Ben Johnson and those two kind of get their arcs. No one else okay. really so does. So what's really the arc of but, Lethal Weapon, then? Well, the arc, character arc and the plot arc. The plot arc is a mystery. They've got to figure out why things are happening. They've got yes. to... Whereas Die Hard, it's all on play. There's terrorists. Now we've got 100 minutes of beating the terrorists. Lethal mm. weapon, we've got to go to the first building. Someone's shooting at us. Why are they shooting at us? Well, we found this drug. Uh, uh, Michael Huntsacker's daughter has been killed, but what was she involved in? She jumped off of the building at the beginning. Is that prostitute lying? Oh, the, her, her building blew up. Someone's doing this. Look, a special tattoo. That's extra special military. They're coming to kill us. All right, well, we've got to hide our, uh, pretend that one of us is dead. And, oh, shit, my wife's been kidnapped. It's, like, it's not just... <laughs> it isn't self-contained. It is a mystery, and it's wonderful plotting wonderful character development in and around a really tight mystery it's it's like it's film mm, noir level yeah okay and that's why i'm there going i think not necessarily the better film yeah but the better story the better plot the better journey and then you've got of course mm. lethal uh, martin riggs coming away from right 
So what is the Bruce Wayne movie? Me? Is it is she dead or are they just divorced? Him and his wife. Oh, uh, uh, she's dead. Oh, she's, she's dead. dead. How yeah, she died? She, well, you find out in Lethal Weapon two that she was killed by one of the South Africans. Ah. Okay. But um. But Riggs, uh, Riggs's journey is to go from. I'm suicidal and I'm right on the bridge of uh, insanity. I'm going to kill myself. Gets a partner who he fi- he finds a reason to live again through Danny Glover, because yes. they became buddies and he rebuilds that family that he lost. But isn't Danny, Danny Glover's about he's about to retire or something? Isn't well, it? he is, but then he doesn't because we've got three right. more movies to sell. <laughs> um, but he and his catchphrase obviously is "I'm getting too old for this shit," which is very funny and comes back up in other movies. Quick pop yes. quiz. Go for it. Okay. Name me the four, uh, five films where Danny Glover says, I'm getting too old for this shit. Well, I assume that uh, all the other Lethal Weapons. That's correct. Um, what, lethal Weapons 1, 2, 3, and 4, and... Uh, probably Predator 2. Maverick, starring Mel Gibson. Maverick's ah. in the bank. Danny Glover, the bank robber, comes in, and he's like, yeah, this is a stick-up. Mel Gibson pulls his banda- face bandana down, and you hear the... From nice. Lethal Weapon, and they both look at each other like, "Do I know you?" And then, as Danny Glover's running out, he goes, "Ah, I'm getting too old for this shit." It's <laughs> stupid. It's real nice. stupid. Coming I, I soon. love stuff like that in movies. <laughs> when we're gonna have to do Maverick, but um, but yeah, he he goes from "I'm getting too old for this shit," I'm gonna retire to actually fighting the good fight again, not wanting to, mm. you know, not wanting to give up, not wanting to. Uh, be with his family because he can't step away from the force and he can't step away from Riggs and in and around it you've got Gary Busey giving one of the like all time great henchman villain roles yes you've got a guy who I always think is Jack Palance but isn't uh, playing the general he's not a great villain in the sense of he's not Mm. Alan Rickman he's not memorable I can't even fully remember um his actor name it's mitchell ryan mitchell ryan is the is the is the bad guy and there's no like big twists and turns in terms of like in die hard you think it's all terrorists but then it turns Mm. out to be a bank robbery in this it's like drugs yeah just drugs because just drugs drugs. yeah because of the 80s and drugs so that's why i prefer watching lethal weapon because i always that's always a moment i forget where i'm like how did they get oh okay they did that clever piece of interrogative work mm. whereas in Die Hard it's like oh he's in a vent again not to disparage that it's great and that did yeah. that was me kind of you know tiring you with a bad f- brush right do you not feel then that because uh, isn't uh, isn't Mel Gibson's character he's meant to be like special forces or ex-special yeah forces. ex-special forces yeah okay and then he's obviously a crack shot because he like yeah. he shoots that guy with a pistol when he's like getting sniped out or something like that yeah that's great um do you feel that in terms of characters compared to say Bruce Wayne's uh, John Bruce McClane? Wayne, Bruce Wayne? Uh, did I say Bruce Wayne? Oh, sorry, I've got, I've, Dude, I've we got are not Justice talking League about the Justice moment. League yet. <laughs> what do you think about Gal um, Gadot as uh, Alan Rickman? No, um... I could get on board with that as well. <laughs> uh, right, so my bad, uh, Bruce Willis. Yes. Um, yeah. D- compared to two characters, mm-hmm. which do you feel has the better arc overall? Martin Riggs. Okay, all right, so... Bruce, Bruce, uh, Bruce, Bruce Wayne. Willis, Bruce Wayne, <laughs> kal no, Bruce Willis as John McClane goes from, I'm going to LA to be with my wife and family at Christmas. Mm. 
he starts that film wanting to go back to New York. Yeah. He ends that film having gone back to New York. Yeah. He doesn't sacrifice anything for his wife. Other, mm, uh, okay. admit, admittedly, admittedly, he does save her. But from yeah. out, 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 as soon as he's outside of Nakatomi, it's like, right, well, business as usual. Am I right? Yeah, and at yeah, the end shot. of, um, at the end of Die Hard, Holly Gennaro has is then going. But I'm now Holly McLean. It's like, oh, so you've you've made the sacrifice. You mm, you've changed who you are because of what he's done. He's still going to go back to New York and be a cop, even though your career is out here. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what? That's a fair shot. Do you know what? I've never really uh, looked at it like that. So yeah. good shot. Um, okay then. So if we had to talk there then, in terms of like maybe not saying character motivations, but just general overall mm-hmm. villainry, who is the better villain? Alan Rickman. And not uh, obviously Alan Rickman, but um, in compared, like I would say definitely on the acting chop side of things. But in terms of overall story and motivations, yeah, it's Alan Rickman. Oh, okay, actually, cool. I mean, we're just talking about Die Hard and Lethal Weapon now, yeah? We're not talking yeah, about the, the other films. Ones. Okay, cool. No. Alan Rickman. Okay, cool. So yeah. why do you say that? He's a suave, sexy bank robber versus 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 drugs. Versus drugs. And that's all that's all um the general, Mitchell Ryan, mm. that's all his thing is, is gotta sell drugs. Whereas okay. Alan Rickman comes in, he's like, I've got a plan, I'm gonna make you look at my left hand whilst I rob you with my right. We're gonna be sitting on a beach collecting twenty percent. <laughs> And he's just thought about it. He knows the textbook. He knows what the FBI are going to do. He knows how to play mm, that. He's playing homework. He's playing chess whilst everyone else is playing checkers. Yeah, that four D chess. Whereas, yeah, Mitchell Ryan, the general, is drugs. Fair. Uh, okay, so if we had to talk about uh, scenes that w- define the movie, mm. I mean, I think we've kind of touched on some of the diehard ones there. Um, for for me, obviously, the throwing a guy out the window. Uh, welcome to the party pal yeah um the the lift opening ho 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 i haven't now have a machine gun yeah the uh ending standoff at the end where obviously you know alan rickman's let go one of the thing i love about that is that they uh you know you probably know this that when they're filming that stunt yeah that they told him that we're going to release on three and then they released him on two. So there's a genuine shock yeah, and surprise yeah. on his face when he's getting get, getting dropped, which I quite like. Great. Um, the whole, like, blowing up the building and him jumping off with the fire hose thing, that's just, like, you know, the big spectacle of the movie. And I, when I try to think of the scenes from Lethal Weapon, mm. all I can really think about is the first bit of mid-scene Riggs do the shootout. Yep. Riggs getting tortured yep and that's about it off the top of my head i can't think of like big the like big moments in that movie compared to die hard yes so for me again i think i think you're right but i had the has the more memorable spectacle moments mm. and the one the, i mean the, the scene i always remember is when riggs and murtar or are in the firing range oh right yeah yeah, and Myrtle takes the one shot, set up for later on. Nice. Yeah, and Riggs turns it into a smiley face. Yes. Oh yeah, you know, good shot. Yeah, that's great. That's just good Shane Black comedy right there. Nice. The nice. opening scene, the um, the Christmas tree moment. Mm-hmm. 
at the, again at the very beginning as another setup because there are two versions of the film one version has him taking out the sniper the scene that you like that you've mentioned so much yeah. uh, a couple of times now uh, the other one the kind of theatrical cut just has him straight in with with the um christmas tree suicidal you know, shoot me shoot me shoot me shoot me shoot me head is it is it the same movie because again forgive me for because i haven't seen this movie in a little while uh, you know it's the roof jumper yeah that was actually that was going to be the the final mention scene i mentioned where he's yeah he's yeah. on the roof the guy's going to commit suicide Riggs handcuffs himself to this guy and they both jump off uh and they land on the kind of big pillow yeah again they're not as iconic as die hard because die hard as you say has been parodied the moments you can parody the um you know duct tape to the back of the duct tape gun to the back of the back back of the back yeah uh as much as you want and you can do the um you know even the line yippee motherfucker mm. that's been done to death in a good way by so many films and so many moments lethal weapon does have fewer of these what's it a- a- apart from i'm getting too old for this shit what is the catchphrase from lethal weapon if there is one it is it's i'm getting too old for this shit it's just that isn't it yeah the second one onwards it tries to include a few other Catch oh really does it try oh, to shoot one in joe pesci comes in and he has a few things to say but we're talking about the first ether weapon at the moment yeah because i feel if we were going to go down that route uh probably die hard probably does take the bigger nose dive <laughs> right so previous. this is what i wanted to go to next okay yes die hard is amazing and yes lethal weapon is amazing but honest like which do you think has just gone Oh, hundred percent Die Hard. It just went. Even Die Hard Three was. I really liked that movie. Mm. I saw you about to turn your head there, like almost. I, like I, I was. I was. Like I thought you were about to say that you didn't like it. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a great movie. Yeah. Um, even with uh Jamie Irons, some uh grasp of a German accent, or whatever the hell he's trying to do. Yeah, Euro- European. <laughs> yeah, he's been. He's a well-traveled man. He's he's, he's actually for me. It's hard he's, to pin, pin down. You asked earlier, like, oh, which who's got the best um, like bad guy motivation? Jeremy Irons. Mm, well, because he's he's yeah, but it's on the pretense that it's like I'm I'm trying to avenge my brother sort of thing. Where obviously he's obviously doing the same thing, which is bank heist. Exactly, that's what I mean. Like it, there's he. It's a hat on a hat in a way that works. That's mm. the one for me where I'm like, all right. I have no questions about what you're doing. You're fucking up John McClane's day and becoming rich. I'm with you. So, yeah, Die Hard took the greatest nosedive. I mm-hmm. think that... Because what it did, the biggest problem that Die Hard made for itself was that they yep. made John McClane superhuman. They have oh, him standing yeah. on the wing of a Harrier jump jet in Die Hard 4, <laughs> which yes. is Live Free or Die Hard 4.0. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he stops becoming your everyman he becomes yeah he becomes superman hey justice league and riggs and Murtaugh are constantly vulnerable there's constantly mm. uh shoulders getting dislocated or in lethal weapon 4 riggs is like even riggs in lethal weapon 4 says i'm getting too old for this shit yeah. because they con- they are aware that they're aging and they are aware that they are humans and they are, yeah, they're constantly at threat. Even to have in Die Hard 5, John McClane's son, CIA. So he's now no longer a piece of vulnerability in the same way that Trish and the kids are in Lethal yeah. Weapon. Lethal Weapon, uh, Die Hard mistook what, you know how we talk about uh, Jaws and Jaws is a wonderful film, but everyone saw that and went, wow, sharks, right? 
yeah pe- other people watched die hard and went wow superhuman no not that at mm-hmm. all lethal, <laughs> lethal weapon again for me doesn't tank and i think it depends what day of the week i watch it in the ten- sense of like how much am i willing to just excuse you know how many times am i gonna tell affleck to shut up yeah. lethal weapon 2 might be better than lethal weapon mm, okay oh okay right okay so which is the better die hard die hard one or die hard two? Oh, die hard one okay interesting for a long I time would... i thought it was die hard 2 uh, i was wrong yeah i would say i think i would say that i think die hard 2 is the better movie that's i think just because it's obviously slightly bigger and better spectacle maybe it is and he's still a human he's still an everyman i don't like yeah. i gotta say though i don't like in die hard that he learned somehow that yippee motherfucker was his uh catchphrase he finds a way to say it in every one. He does, doesn't he? And he doesn't uh, need to. It, where's it from, isn't it? It's like, is it um, Roy, Ro- Roy Rogers? Yeah. Yeah, Roy Rogers, that's it. Uh, so, yeah, Die Hard 2, uh, talk about Lethal Weapon 2, and you say about Die Hard has the most, the more spectacle moments. Mm. Lethal Weapon 2 has the more spectacle moments. We're talking bomb toilet seat. See, this is where I feel that for me, actually, Lethal Weapon does fall down a little bit because I was even just trying to think of the plot of Lethal Weapon 2 and I feel that those movies aren't distinct enough in a way. Lethal Weapon, So Lethal Weapon 2 is money smuggling, in particular right. um, Krugerant, Krugerant, which is uh, South yeah. African currency. Uh, but that is used being used to fund... It doesn't matter, it's Krugerant. You're right, yeah. yeah. Lethal Weapon 2 is very much like... Shh, can, uh, well, I can't even think about what happens in Lethal Weapon Lethal 3. Lethal Weapon 3 are cop killer bullets. Oh, uh, right, yes. And Lethal Weapon 4 is illegal human trafficking. So that's for me. Also known as human like, trafficking. <laughs> where it, whereas I feel that the movie revolves around the partnership of, um, you know, Danny Glover and, and Mel Gibson. Yeah. Whereas the, the movies of Die Hard revolve around the situation and just throwing... John McClane in it. I, you know I mean? agree up until a point. Okay. Because that point is Die Hard 4. Well, if Die if, Hard 4 right, is not thing, canon. So if, we can agree on this then. Then, then Die Hard 4 is it's whatever fuck it is. But, it's what, a, but, but it's not a Die Hard movie. Is that the same and as Die Hard 5? 5? Right. Okay. So this is the problem. As soon as you're saying, oh, well, these two films aren't canon, automatically the series has done something very incorrect. I know we're talking about yeah, but that's the like first your, your film. Yeah, canon, isn't it? It's just like, right, for me, it's like, it, it, it's, it's the same for Aliens, isn't it? It's like, right. I only count Aliens 1 to 3. The the Shigorni Weaver trilogy. And then, yeah, okay, you have Alien Resurrection. But that's not part of... We're talking about that next week, right? Canon, <laughs> which will be the next episode. You have your headcanons, don't you? It's I like... disagree. I disagree. If, because it's like... Um, again, we've talked about the Halloween series. Mm. Oh, the 2018 film is now the only one that's canon, making... Halloween 1 and Halloween 2018 the only films that you need to worry about because all the others don't exist it's like they do exist I watched them I took the time to watch and invest invest myself in them and the filmmakers didn't make Die Hard 4 and Die Hard 5 going these aren't going to be canon don't worry someone says says that because it's bad it's like someone again it's like my TV theory it need the whole thing needs to be good if someone comes along now and says our series 8 isn't good therefore it's not canon Therefore, we don't count it. Therefore, don't worry. It's like, if that was the intention... slightly different. He, okay, here's, here's the comparison. Here's the comparison. Go on then. The original Casino Royale mm-hmm. with David Niven right. isn't a ca- uh, is not a canon James Bond film. And they went into that knowing that it wasn't a canon James Bond film. Do you want to know why? Because Woody Allen at one point plays James Bond. <laughs> and so you can watch that going, ah, these filmmakers were having fun, right? Yeah. 
But the second that someone comes along and goes, oh, um, just to let you know, uh, Octopussy, it's not canon. You're like, but it but was. Actually, you went in expecting it to be canon. It just the, so happens those, that it's lesser. It's a lesser film. A lot of those James Bond movies technically aren't canon because they didn't get copyrights. Uh, well, there's copyright disputes about a lot of it. Hence the why most of the movies don't even mention non, Spectre and things like the, that. The only non-canon James Bond film, apart from Casino Royale, is Never Say Never Again. All of the others are canon. Because they have recurring. This is the one with George Lazenby. Uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's the one, yeah. That is canon. It's canon. It fits. Yeah, yeah. They I didn't went... say it wasn't. No, okay, fair enough. Sorry, I thought that's what. We were... <laughs> but if you're going into the film expecting to make a sequel, and it turns out not very well, and you go, "Oh, don't worry, we were just fucking around." No, no, you went in. <laughs> but no, I don't. I'm not saying that they said that. It's Obviously like making going a they meal. Slap, they slap the name on these fucking movies because they only draw from a fan base. But as a fan, you know, it's for me of a series or of films to go, do you know what? These movies are great. So in my own head... But I where go, do you draw the in line, In my own then? reality that I fucking made for myself... <laughs> then I'm not going to agree with you. whatever the fuck I want, Craig. <laughs> but where do you... But again, then, where do you draw the line? Where do you go, oh, uh, is it like 51% or higher needs to agree that it's not canon? Mm, yeah, but I feel there's a, like a general consensus that can happen amongst certain fans, isn't it? And just be like, oh yeah, that movie's shit. Okay, why is it shit? Because, well, as a fan of the series, it took a fucking left turn on the character arc. Okay, well, if that character now is so different from what it originally was, that you kind of feel that you can't even a, either relate or even like that character. Well, it's like, well, okay, for me, I can end the chapter. It would be like, right, okay, imagine this, Craig. If you saw five, there was five movies in a series, uh-huh. and you only saw the first three, uh-huh. and you never even got round to seeing four or five in uh-huh. your head, then really, there's only three movies, even though you know the existence of four or five movies. You just this isn't seen a tree them. falling in the woods, right? <laughs> this is that was the kind, that was where I was trying, trying to slip in. I've to, not like, seen four. If they uh, make a movie and you don't see it, does it exist? I've not seen. Uh... What, what are there three hobbit films oh mate yeah they're... i've i've only seen one i the other two still exist yes but saying this actually that's a good shout even though those movies are fucking long and horrible and bloated they are technically still canon and i can accept that they exist i just don't like those movies <laughs> but that's what you need to be able to do with die hard and just go i don't like it but it exists and it's in the it's got characters it's got recurring characters it's got mentions to the first couple of films mm. you know it's yeah it's just so and like i said if the filmmakers went in and went now nah, we're, we're just going to do something different and that's our intention and nobody take this seriously great in for it love it but as soon as you say uh, uh we would just whoops no ignore this don't you know pay no attention to the man behind the curtain mm. um it's like well no accept your loss just, just own your loss, and actually, you might get cult status because of it. All right, fair enough. I'll take that. I'll take that L. Uh, <laughs> right, I think we can wrap it up there then. Uh, do you want to plug uh, the social media? Absolutely, I do. Uh, we are on Instagram at Admin Craig's GPC. We are mm-hmm. on Twitter at Admin Craig. We are on Facebook and iTunes and Spotify. Admin Craig's Guilty Pleasure Cinema, and we are on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Admin Craig. 
This is GPC. Good pleasure cinema. Good pleasure cinema. God damn it. And all those links are like if you want to find any of those things, just find our Instagram page or something like that. All the links will be in the bio and all that jazz. Yeah. Next week we have decided uh, we will be doing first night. Yeah, Richard Gere and Sean Connery. I Back have not seen this film. Oh, mate, I think you're. I've, I, I don't know because whenever I say it, I think you like this movie. <laughs> Sometimes you're talking about <laughs> one time. It's yeah. I I found it on Netflix. I saw that it's two hours long. I'm I'm looking forward to sitting down and watching it with you. Find out next week to see what I think. That's it. So uh, from me, guys, thank you very much for listening, uh, Craig. Yeah, thank you very much. Sign out from yourself. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you about two films. And let me just say this. Both films are amazing. I, I own them both on DVD. I own the whole set of all of them, even the quote-unquote yeah. non-canon ones uh, <laughs> on DVD. Uh, my final note, I'll yeah. say, is this. Is Don't send that, us any death threats. No, please, God cause... damn it. <laughs> my final note that I'll say on this is that there is only one film out of everything we've talked about that made you walk out of the cinema and me nearly walk out of the cinema, and it falls yeah. into the diehard camp. On that note, thank you very much for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next week. Adam and Craig's guilty pleasure. Adam and Craig's guilty pleasure. Adam and Craig's guilty pleasure. Sin.